Amen. Well, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be taking a look at verses 18 through 25. So glad to be able to be teaching the book of Genesis. I think there is so many um, messages that we are getting from the book of Genesis that we just need to hear right now. In our culture, at this time, in our lives, we need to hear what the book of Genesis has to say. We're going to have four main observations about marriage that we're going to take from this passage. But some may wonder, some may say, well, I mean, is it really a good idea to go all the way back to Genesis to figure out what we should be doing for marriage? I mean, that was like there are only two people on the planet and we have different circumstances, different pressures, different, you know, uh, environment. It's all very, very different. Um, is, it, is it really where we need to go? Shouldn't we look at something that's maybe a little more relevant to where we are right now? But you know what we do? When we are wanting to fix a problem, when we are wanting to make certain we're staying on track with something, we go back to when it was good and when it was right and when that model was first laid down. And so I'm sure many of you have done something like that. You ever taken something apart and you take a picture of it before you do it? Because you want it to go back, you know, looking the same and you don't want to have leftover bolts, you know. Um, So, you know, we do this. We want to get it back to the way it was. And even Jesus thought that was a good idea when it came to marriage. When he was in his public ministry, they came with some questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And what did he do with the scribes? First of all, he says, have you not read? Now, to a scribe, that would have, I'm sure they would have been highly insulted by that. But what Jesus was saying is, you know the word, but you don't know the word. You can talk about the Word, but have you really read it? Have you really let it sink into your heart? Do you know what the Word of God has to say? I know you can repeat each other, but do you know what God said in the beginning? And he goes back to Genesis to talk about marriage. So it is a totally appropriate place to return to and to consider and to observe because that's what Jesus did when he was asked questions with a broken system, and when things were not going the way they were supposed to. So, we're going to go back to Genesis, and we're going to begin looking at verses 18 through 25. The first point is, God's plan included companionship. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, or a loner. All right? Now, I want to say this, first of all. We're going to talk about marriage, and that is something that God instituted. It was His plan. It was His idea. But I know there are many single people. There's a lot of single people in here. Um, and, you know, a significant percentage of the body of Christ um, in America are single people. And I, I, as we talk about marriage, I don't want you for a second to feel like somehow you're a second-class citizen. Because we certainly don't feel that way. God's Word certainly does not say that. And you shouldn't feel that way. There's a place for us to talk about singleness. There's a place for us to talk about marriage. And that singleness is something that Paul certainly emphasized. And he was a single individual, and he thought it was a good choice and encouraged others to do that. So as we talk about marriage, don't anybody hang their head who's single here, okay? Um, The Lord has a plan for your life. Walk it out. As a matter of fact, Scripture would say you have a little easier time walking it out now as a single person. So I just want to give that right at the beginning so everybody can just kind of breathe in, breathe out, relax, and understand that God wants us all to just walk and serve in the state that we are in right now. You're single? Then serve the Lord. You're married? Then serve the Lord. 
So he says it's not good that man should be alone. God saw his need. He gives him the task of going and naming all the animals. And as he's doing this process, it would seem, and we'll get to it in our next point, that something begins to bubble up in him. It's like, hey, hey, nobody looks like me. (laughs) Everybody has somebody else that looks like them. The elephant's got another elephant partner, right? But I'm the only one that's by myself in this. And so the Lord decides he wants to make somebody. He's going to make Eve and bring her to him. But the Lord makes her because of the need for companionship, the loneliness that he was feeling. And it's in our fellowship that, that we find a fulfillment with other people. It's in that socializing that, that we, we some, of you are, some of you are so energized by being around people. Not everybody's that way. Our extroverts are like energized by being around people. Some of you are like, not me. I'm like, I'm tired of these people already, and I haven't even said hello to them. And you're like, it just drains you to be around people. But we all need to have people in our life. It may not be a married person, but we all need to have somebody that is involved in our lives. Now, in this context, we're talking about marriage. And when God looked at man, when God looked at him, he says, well, he's alone. He's lonely. So he decides to make somebody from his side that would be the perfect companion to make certain that loneliness never sets in, that it wouldn't be there. So he makes a woman, he wires the woman so that she has this incredible passion and desire to find out what's going on and why it's going on. Right? He wired the woman to help with the loneliness that he saw in man. And so when you look at a woman who, for the most part, she wants to get engaged in conversation. It, wants to, it needs to be meaningful conversation. It needs to be eyeball-to-eyeball conversation. And that, that's got to be there. And if it's not there, then there's this sense of, of emptiness. And she will press. And she will drive. And she will, she will you know, try to bring you, husband, into that. Now, if you don't like that, you only have one person to blame. Go in the bathroom, look into the mirror and say, it's your fault. You're the loner. And God made her to, make, to have such a need for companionship that it would draw that out. And so why am I making this point? Because often men will begin to press this down in their wives. And they'll begin to push it away and push it aside and devalue it. Make jokes of it, right? And, and yet we should esteem that because that was God's plan. To make somebody that had that drive. So important for that to take place. And so as husbands, you should be developing that friendship and that companionship with their wives. And you say, well, I'm just not like that. Well, I guarantee you, you were like that at one point in time. Otherwise, she would, you would have never gone out on a date. You would have never spent time together. She would have never had a second time with you. At some point in time, there was something within you that allowed you to communicate and to share and to talk and to listen responsibly. Because if you didn't listen responsibly and you weren't in communication with her and as she talked to you in that first date and you were like, yeah, that's interesting, kind of, not really, I'm going to do this instead. 
I don't think she's asking you, when you ask her out a second time, she's going to say yes. At some point in time, you wooed her. You won her. You communicated to her. You poured out your thoughts. And you were connected. So this idea of, well, that's just not who I am. That's not true. That's who you used to be. But you become something else. That kind of, I think all men tend to kind of just drift a little bit. Not all. Kind of drift towards this isolation, this kind of carrying everything inside. And the Lord would have you to do that. She needs that. She has a huge need in her life, as you do, to hear from you. And to communicate with you and have companionship. The goal is not simply to dwell together in the same home. 1 Peter 3, 7 says that you should dwell with them with understanding. Like, well, yeah, well, but I can't understand my wife. Well, and to the humble, he gives more grace, right? With man, not all things are possible. But with, all, with God, all things are possible. Who can understand a woman? The answer is the Christian husband. That's the answer to who can understand the woman. And if you will humble yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, I know I'm not being the companion that she needs. I know I am not listening to her and communicating, and I don't really even know how. If you will humble yourself before God and you will ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit and insights and wisdom, then you can be obedient to 1 Peter 3, 7 that says, dwell with them in understanding. You might want to go look up that passage because it also says if you don't do it, God's not going to listen to you. Now, I'm not saying the understanding is all wrapped up in just one thing of, of communicating, but it certainly is part of it. And so I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say, if you're not going to listen to your wife, the Lord says, I'm not going to listen to you. If you're going to be harsh with them, and you're going to be walking in sin in this way, I'm not going to answer your prayers. So how do you like that? You don't want to hear from her? I'm not going to hear from you. So this is a serious issue that goes right to the heart of the creation moment. This is not just something that we should add into the marriage. No, companionship lies right at the heart of this. And so I pray you'll, you'll look at that. What do I talk about? Talk about ideas. Talk about plans. Talk about goals. Talk about your day. Talk about the kids. Talk about the Lord. And talk about the work of the Lord. These are the things that you can talk about. There's other things you can talk about too, but if you're like, I don't even know what to talk about anymore. Well, there you go. Ideas, plans, goals, the kids, your day, the Lord, and the work of the Lord. Find out what's going on. Find out the joys. Find out the fears and understand one another. Again, you did at one time, and this is part of God's plan. Secondly, we move on. God's plan also included partnership, not just companionship, but partnership. Let's read in the middle of verse 18 down to verse 20. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper comparable. And so you kind of get it. He's like, okay, look at these guys. Okay, there's two of them. Or however many there were, we don't know. But they came. We know there had to be a male and female for the, that population to, to continue. So God had to create, you know, uh, um, you know a, a male and a female of, of, of each of these species. So he was noticing, it would seem, from this. Oh, look, there's two of them. 
Oh, and there's two of them, there's two of them, but why is there only one of me? And maybe in that observation is where that loneliness kind of began to, to come in. And the Lord saw that, and so he makes a helper comparable to him. I want to stop right there with the word helper. Because this is a place that those that want to reject any kind of instruction that the Bible gives about marriage or about the role of a woman, they seize upon this term helper and they say, see you go. She's just like a little, you know, Santa's elf helper that's just running around the workshop doing whatever, uh, you know, the big burly guy wants done. But you gotta, you got to inject that into this. It doesn't say that. You've got to infuse those thoughts into this, this context. And I'll give you one example of how you can know that this term helper is not in any way meant to demean or to diminish a woman's ability, her essence, or her worth. Because the third person of the Godhead is called what? The helper. You have the Father and you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. All three of them are equally divine. And yet the, hel- the, the Holy Spirit, the third person, is called the helper. Is he you know, Santa's little elf helper too? Not at all. He is God in the Spirit. And so if we look at this, and we, somehow we think, well, helper, I mean, this is... This is kind of derogatory. This is demeaning. This is diminishing of her worth and her abilities and her values. Then are we saying that about the Holy Spirit? Does Scripture say that about that? When Jesus said, I'll send a helper, was he, was he kind of demeaning the third person of the Godhead? Not, not at all. So if God is willing to take on this title of helper, why should we see in it some kind of negative communication by the Lord? The whole context of this is not to demean, but is to elevate. And so together there is a partnership. Adam was to tend the garden, right? Adam was to name the animals. And he was all by himself in this project. And so two are better than one. And the Lord sends somebody to help and to serve so not to diminish. Adam knew what his job was. You know, when she uh, came to or when he awakened and he saw her there created from his side and they began to talk. Well, what do we do here? Well, we, take, we tend to this garden and we, I'm in the process of, you know, naming these animals. I'll, I'll tell you all the names I gave them. And they had a divine commission from the Lord of work that they are to do. Now, we are told that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are what? Born again. Paul says, calls that a new creation. That when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you became a new creation. As a new creation, just like this first creation, but as a new creation, you also have a task list. You have a to-do list that's been given to you from God as well. That you need to walk in these things. You need to fulfill the work that God has given to you. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship, created for good works. You cannot know fulfillment. You cannot know the purpose that God has intended for you in this life unless, as Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And you walk that out. When you were born, you were given certain talents. When you were born again, you were given certain spiritual gifts. And God loves to take those talents 
and those gifts, and sometimes he fuses them together, a talent with a spiritual gift, and that is used for the glory of God. But whether it's your talent or whether it's your spiritual gift, we are to occupy ourselves doing the work of the kingdom. This is what he was doing. He was tending the garden. He was taking care of the naming of the animals. Your first zoologist here, right? Adam. How fun that would have been to be around all those animals. No fear in the animal kingdom. There was no hostility. That will be returned in the millennial kingdom. But this is so important for us to see that there's work to be done. Now, why is it that we pull away from work in the kingdom? Well, maybe you're too busy with other things. If you are so busy doing other things, your job, your hobbies, your family responsibilities, your community endeavors, so that you would say, I have no time to serve Jesus. I'm telling you right now, you've got to change that. Because you're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day who's made an investment in saving you and giving you spiritual gifts and having opportunities for you to walk them out. If you don't walk in them, you're going to have a day of accounting before God where you say, yeah, I didn't do any of that stuff because I was too busy. And whatever you say at that point, there is, it's not going to be an ex- something that he's going to excuse I don't know how much time and I don't know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, but I can say with biblical certainty, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works and you need to walk in them. You need to do that. So maybe it's busyness or maybe it's lethargy. You're just, you got too many other things you want to do. I don't know what it is, but I want to, I want to venture into one more area I think is important for us to hear right now. Maybe it's because of fear. That you don't serve. Now, fear is always a factor. Some, some of you I know have not served because you're afraid that if you serve, you're going to mess it up and you don't want to mess up anything that relates to the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, none of us are perfect. And, and you know what? When you start out, it's not going to be as good as when you are ending your life in faithfulness to the Lord. You'll do a better job at the end than you will in the beginning. You don't want to hear my first sermon I ever preached, I promise you. I don't want to hear the first. I'm glad it, I am so thankful that it was not recorded. I, I kept those notes for a lot of years. I probably kept those notes for about 10 years. I looked at them one day and I thought, oh my gosh. What, a preschooler write this? I mean, this is just, it was embarrassing on every level imaginable. I threw it away. And, um, you know, and so you You grow. You develop the skill, you you develop the gift, you have more experiences, you learn. So fear keeps us back. But you know, in this present hour, there is so much fear in our country. There is so much fear in this world. And, and, And I know somebody said, well, there's something to be afraid of. Hang on, just go with me. We need to walk in wisdom. We were at a time when there's a, you know, this pandemic. I get that, um, that it's there, that it's real. Um, we've had family, we've had friends that have got this. I'm sure you have too. I'm not for a second denying that there isn't some wisdom we should walk in as it relates to this. But this is what I'm saying. God's people are not to be people that make decisions from fear. We make decisions from what? From faith. 
If you have made decisions from fear to not do what God has called you to do, that is not healthy. You need to make it from faith. Now, I don't know what that, if that decision would look different, but I know how you make that decision is going to be very different. You need to make that decision from faith. I can't tell you what to do right now, but I can tell you what I think is a terrible idea. Is that the church shuts down and does not serve and does not attend to the gospel for the next year. What if, the, what if Jesus returns at one year in one day? And for the last year, the church has sheltered and has shut down her, her job. Well, that's not going to happen. Well, you don't know that, that's gonna, that he's not going to come at that time. And I don't know that he is. None of us know. But we're to live like every day he's coming back. So somewhere between having wisdom and, and discretion in dealing with this and being faithful and serving the Lord, in faith we've got to make decisions on how our family is going to function and operate. Let me tell you who I'm not talking to. I am not talking to the person, and there is many people in our church, there are many people in the church that are going through chemo or they're going through um, serious medical conditions. They have severe respiratory problems. I'm not, I am not chastening you. I'm talking about the person who does nothing but watch Fox News, CNN, and Twitter, and Facebook all day long, and just you are overcome with fear about the times in which we're living. You know what the Bible says? It says to what? Fear not. Fear not. There are two historic plagues that ravaged the Roman Empire. The Antonine Plague in the 2nd century and the Cyprian Plague that took place in the 3rd century. And it's estimated by historians that it killed roughly a quarter to a third of the population. Serious plagues. And there was incredible fear among the community, among the empire. People were fleeing out into the country. People were leaving. If you found out somebody was sick, they were, you were being thrown out onto the streets, not allowed to be around homes. You were basically left to die with the corpses that they were piling up on the streets. True story. That's the way it was being handled. They didn't understand what we know today. But that's what was taking place. And there was mass fear except for one group of people. You know who that group of people was? It was the church. And the church stepped forward and they started caring for the people that were dying of this plague, that were taking their last breaths. They were ministering mercy. They were ministering kindness. They were showing love. And I love to be able to tell you, and none of them died. No, a lot of them died. As a matter of fact, the bishops began to refer to them as martyrs because they were willing to sacrifice their life, knowing by dealing and handling and touching these people they were going to die. They stepped into that scene to minister to them. We need to remember this. We're already dead. As followers of Jesus Christ, we've already made the decision that we're dead. We've died to self. He has said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Deny yourself. So I'm not saying let's all you know, start sharing you know, you know, popsicles together and drinking from the same cup and sharing toothbrushes and all the rest. And don't worry about the COVID. I'm not suggesting that, okay? But I am saying if you have been gripped by fear so that you're unwilling to step out and to serve and you're retreating because of fear, that's not, that's not the way we, we decide. If you make a decision to pull back because of some health issues or specific wisdom or whatever, that's fine. But if it's fear that's gripping your heart, you've got you to repent of that today. 
I, yeah, I said that. I said, you need to repent of that fear. Because we need to have faith in God. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, they're going to kill you. If you follow me, they're going to deliver you up to councils. They're going to judge you. If they didn't like me, they're not going to like you. You're going to have hardship in this life. And so as I refer to the Antonine plague and the Cyprian plague and how Christians responded, do you know what the result of this is? Historians say that besides the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel, that this was one of the major reasons why the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire in its early days. Going from 120 to just hundreds of thousands because people saw the kindness and the faith and the generosity of the, of the church, of the Christians. And this opened up the door to, to speak of the mercy of God. So listen, we need to be full of faith. And if you're just full of fear, turn your news feed off and get into the Word of God and study it and read it. Well, I've got to be informed. You don't have to be that informed. You don't have to be that informed. You know it's there. I know it's there. I mean, who do you really believe right now anyways? And I, again, I'm not saying it's not here, but everybody seems to have a political angle or a financial angle on this. You know, well, are you sure Calvary Chapel Lynchburg is handling this right? No, I'm not sure. How, how can I be certain that we're handling it right? We believe we're making right decisions and we're seeking the Lord and we're paying attention to the medical community, but I don't have a verse for masks. I don't have a verse for COVID and social distancing. I don't have that. So we're making the best decisions we possibly can. But what I do know is that we're to be about the work of the Lord. And we are not to value our life above the lives of other people. That we are to give ourselves away because when you lose your life, that's when you really what? You gain your life. And if you want to, you want to lose life, turn inward, retreat, and isolate because of fear. You want to find life? Then give yourself away. That doesn't mean you, you throw wisdom to the, to the wind and just do whatever. No, we, we, can, we can do both. We can do the both. So Adam and Eve created for companionship. Adam and Eve can, created for partnership, working together. They knew what God had called them to do. You and your spouse become that dynamic duo like Aquila and Priscilla that just serve Jesus. Further the kingdom together. I'm so thankful uh, to the Lord and to my wife for that partnership. That we have. we have companionship and we have partnership. And we, we are striving together to serve Jesus so that when we finish this life that we can hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servants. You guys did well together. Not only individually, but together you've done well. Verse 24, we come to our third point. Actually, it's, it's verses 21 through 24. And God, God's plan included unity. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Thomas Aquinas stated, for since the woman should not have authority over the man, 1 Timothy 2.12, 
it would not have been fitting for her to have been formed from his head. Nor since she is not to be despised by the man, as if she were but his servile subject, would it have been fitting for her to be formed from his feet. But she was taken from his side, because she is a helper. The Lord made things from the ground, from the earth he formed them, but not the woman. From the woman he formed her from the side of man. Giving a clear communication, she is bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. She is of the same substance and worth and value as you, Adam. As we studied earlier in chapter 1, for male and female, he created them in his image. So again, this idea that because she was created differently or because she was created to be a helper, that somehow it's less than is just not what the text says nor what God is seeking to communicate. He's trying to communicate the exact opposite. But we see this unity taken from the side. There was to be a sharing together of life. A sharing together. Throughout Scripture, take some time to read John 17. We see how God emphasizes unity. One of the things that God hates is the one who divides, right? But He loves the unifier. Unity is a constant exhortation we find in the New Testament. It was a constant work of the disciples and the apostles inside the church to try and make certain that they walked in unity together. Fulfill my joy and be like-minded. Jesus called and prayed for us right before he went to the cross in John 17 that we would be unified together. It is a high priority of God that we be one, not pulling apart and not dividing each other, and yet this is why Satan works so hard to destroy the marriage unit because God wants it to be unified. So automatically, Satan locks in and says, then I want to destroy it. And some of you know very well that work of the enemy and how he has sought to or how he has been effective at doing that either with you and your marriage or in somebody you know. We all know somebody like that. But God's desire from the beginning was for unity. Now listen, people can do some terrible things that, that destroy that unity. There's no doubt about it. And Jesus talked about some of them, but that's for another, sto- another study. Unity. Many of you, I've done many of your wedding ceremonies. It's a privilege of mine to be able to do that. And I look forward to the ones that are coming up this year. But somewhere in the marriage, well, actually, specifically, when we get to the ring part of the ceremony, I had you repeat after me. Where this ring is a symbol of my love. This ring symbolizes the unending union of my life with yours. Your dreams are now my dreams. Your hopes are my hopes. Your fears are my concern. Your affection is my joy. Your love is my blessing. Now, if you weren't married and didn't say something like that, you said, uh, said that you said something like it that spoke of the unity and the that you had. I don't know that there's ever been a ceremony done, a Christian ceremony, where there wasn't an emphasis on the uniting that took place. It's biblical. It goes back to the, the beginning. And then later on, I'll make a statement if there are candle ceremonies going on. These two lit candles behind us represent different lives, seeing different goals and purposes. But today you are joined together as husband and wife. 
And as the Bible says, the two shall become, and so is no longer the husband and his goals, or the wife and her purposes, but the two of you joined as one, having one goal and one purpose together. That's God's plan. Unity. Togetherness. And the world is seeking to pull you apart. And you just have to pay attention. If you both are working, there is something that's built in there. It just by that very nature, you guys are going in different directions. You're more tired, both of you. You have other things you're attending to. That, that's something you've got to be aware of. That can be something that could be a, a divider. Don't let it be. Busyness of life. There's so many things. Make certain that you manage those necessary, um, I don't want to call them dividers, but just those necessary obstacles, and you manage them well. But don't add in things you don't have to add in. It's so important that you share life together, that you share your thoughts together, that you share dreams together, that you share fears together, that you share finances together. Oh, no, 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 our finances are separate. Well, why are they separate? Are they separate because it's just a, a, a good function of the, how you do your accounting and budgeting and it has no reflection upon yours versus hers? Okay, no problem. But if you having this is mine and this is his and don't ask me how I'm spending my money, wait a minute, you're to become one flesh. And this can quickly become something that divides. Or your friends or your, your interest, or the way you spend your time, and now you're just seeing your life pulling apart more and more. You're meant to come together as, not just like close partners, one flesh is how you're to become. So look at those things. Evaluate your life together. Are there things that are causing us not to share dreams together, not to share purposes, not to share goals together? Then change that and become unified. Listen, there's a lot of, there are enough things that we're going to have to negotiate in this life that cause us to go in different directions and we come back together. There's enough of them that we can't avoid. Don't make it worse by adding a ton of things like that because you'll wake up one day and you guys will be in two different places. So make certain that you walk in unity. And lastly, verse 25 God's plan included innocence. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now after they fall, they're going to become ashamed. In their sin, there's going to be shame there. And that's what sin does. Sin brings shame. Sin brings um, uh, that unrighteousness into our life. But they were able to be unclothed, naked together, and there was no fear, there was no shame, there was no exploitation, there was no taking advantage, it wasn't even in their mind. There was an innocence there. That was lost when they fell. When, when they sinned, that, that innocence spread. And we all know what it's like to have a guilty conscience for something we've done or something we haven't done. I mean, I just... <laughs> You know, I think most pastors will tell you this. The thing that, dry, that eats at me the most is at the end of the day, thinking of everything I didn't get done. And there, if I, I, can, I, can, I can easily become guilty. It's like, I just, and my wife's like, listen, you, you were up early. You're all day long. You've got to take a break sometime. Leave it for tomorrow. I've got a great counselor in her. But we all know what it's like to be guilty. 
Even if it's not like a sin action, but then when you sin, and the way your conscience pricks you and how you feel so restless and you, you can't be at ease because there is sin. Well, this couple was together and there was innocence. We live in a day when unrighteousness is celebrated. When evil is called good and good is called evil. And that's been like injected with steroids, it seems like, in 2020. And that innocence is is far from being there. And actually, you know, rebellion is celebrated. But not for the Christian. And praise the Lord in Christ Jesus that innocence is returned. Because we are able to have a clear conscience before God. Have you forgotten how wonderful it is to be saved and to be clean? Have you forgotten how wonderful it is to be able to lay your head on the bed at night and go to sleep not being terrorized in your mind for all the sinful things you've done? And what if you're to stand before God tonight and and being afraid to even go to sleep? Think about the freedom and the liberty you have in Christ Jesus. doesn't mean we're perfect, but we know where to go. We've got an advocate. And we can confess our sins and He will forgive us and He will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We know what it's like, the joy of being clean. The joy of being innocent before the Lord. Maybe you need to remind yourself of that. But maybe you've never had that innocence in the Lord. Again, as Christians, we're not saying, oh, we're perfect. And as Christians, we're not saying that we don't have our conscience pricked when we do the wrong thing. But what we are saying is we have a place to go. Where God has provided a way to atone and to make things right for our sin and our rebellion. And listen, it is so real. This is not just some kind of theoretical innocence we're talking about. Talk to a believer. We can walk with a clear conscience because of what Jesus has done. And we don't walk in fear. We don't walk in dread. We have this beautiful Clean conscience before the Lord. The book of Hebrews. You want to read about the clear conscience? Read about the difference between those that were having sacrifices under the Levitical system versus those that have a sacrifice that's once and for all in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It's there for you. As you come in repentance and turn from your sin and ask the Lord to cleanse you, He says, I will cleanse you. I will make you clean. Turn with me to the back of the book book of Revelation, and then go one page further back or forward to the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. It's only one chapter. If you haven't turned there lately, your pages are stuck together. It's there, right after 3 John, right before Revelation. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And here it is. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Do you see? This is the state that we have. Before the Lord. We are those who are faultless before the Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not faultless. You're right. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's another truth. The other truth is this, is that we are given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
We are justified. This is the righteousness that God had in uh, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus had, is transferred to us as we put faith and trust in him. And our unrighteousness was transferred to him as he hung on the cross and he paid the penalty. And now we can be and are faultless. We are justified. Read it in Romans. It doesn't say you will be justified. It says it that you are justified. And so you are faultless. And when we stand before God in the splendor of his glory... You will understand and I will understand that justification from having put our faith and trust in Jesus like we never have before. So much so in the glory of God's presence, we will understand that we are faultless. And not only that, we will be able to be before his presence with exceeding joy, not dread. So there was an innocence there in that marriage union. There is a purity about them individually and collectively together that's going to be lost in the next chapter. But the Lord made a provision in His Son Jesus that as we are recreated and born again, that innocence returns to us. Now, we don't see it fully restored in this present order. The Lord will do that when He returns. But you and your standing before the Lord can know that innocence. You can be forgiven And and I'll just say this as the last thing. If you're a believer here, and you know this is true, but you've been beating yourself up for the last decade because of some sin you've committed, and you think somehow this honors the Lord, you're completely mistaken. If you want to celebrate Jesus, if you want to honor the Lord, then walk in the innocence. Walk in the faultless state that He's provided for you. Lift your voice loud. As David said in Psalm 51, teach sinners of this truth. Teach them of the forgiveness and the mercy of God. But don't walk around beating yourself up anymore. If you've repented of it, you maybe can't go back and change things. There's certain things that we do and we can change and we move on. There's other things we do we can never change and they will never change. But we can still be clean and forgiven. And that's what the Lord desires for us. So God, in the beginning, had a plan for marriage. And his plan was that there would be companionship. His plan was that there would be partnership. That there would be unity, one flesh. And that there would be a righteous couple gathered together. As a couple, live for Jesus. As for you and your house, serve the Lord. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you that we have something to go back to. We're not just throwing darts in the dark, hoping we hit something. Lord, we got the target right in front of us. We, we see the prototype. And not only that, we have your spirit who dwells within us, helping us to fulfill that. We pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon our marriages here. Lord, we need your strength. We need your help. And yes, Lord, humble us that we might receive more grace. Grace. 